Hello listener and welcome to Chaos Dwarf Radio, the Brazen Broadcast. Brought to you through the magic of mass sacrifice all the way from Zana Grund. My name is Oxymandas and with me today I have Chitskoy. Hi guys. Michael X. Hey guys. And I have Reva. Hey, how's it going? Um, as this is the first episode, guys, I think we should take a little bit of time to introduce ourselves, explain why the, uh, the denizens of Chaos to Wolf Online might have heard of us or bits of our work they might have seen. So I'll kick off, I'll say who I am, and then you guys can kind of introduce yourselves. Um, I'm Oxymandas, as I said. I'm the editor of our new webzine, The Brazen Bulletin. It's a free Chaos to Wolf webzine. Uh, I'm a serial uh, golden hat and artisans uh, competition addict. And I'm currently curating a couple of blogs over on the website. Um, I've got one about my square-based uh, Norsken Chaos Dwarfs and another one about a gaming room that I'm currently building. Um, Chitskoy, talk about talk about yourself, mate. Hey, guys. Uh, so I'm Chits. Um, the only real thing that people will know me from is that I write Among the Wicked Dawi, which is up to about 15 parts now on the background forum. Um, and I just got back into miniatures and painting uh, in about the last like, sort of calendar year. So I'm still gearing up for posting my first minis picks. Um, they are not going to compare to the average quality on CDO, I've got to be honest. I'm sure they're going to look awesome, mate. I wouldn't worry. Yeah, lovely. And if you haven't checked out the Wicked Darwin, well, you need to check it out, guys. I'm, I haven't finished yet, Chip. So I'm, I'm part of the way through, but I am absolutely hooked. Um, Michael, Michael X, do you want to introduce yourself, mate? Uh, yeah, hi guys. Um, well, I suppose most of you will know me from the blog I posted a while back about my fully or mostly fully 3D printed Chaos Dwarf army. Uh, I started that about, well, I suppose about a year ago now when I was forced to sit at home for a lengthy amount of time, it seems. Um, and I'm well gearing up to finishing it somewhere this summer. Um, and I am also, well, getting hooked on writing stories for my general, uh, mostly due to Shitsa's story. So thanks for that. No worries, man. <laughs> now I'm, well, here talking to you guys. Lovely. And, um, and Reva, tell us about yourself, mate. Yeah, absolutely. I've been on CDO for uh, three or four years now. I caught just barely the, the tail end of the old forum. I'd started my blog, uh, Plunder for the Ironclad Fleet there. And uh, pretty early on, transferred that over to the new uh, Discourse platform, which I've definitely been thoroughly enjoying using. It has a much more friendly user interface than the previous, so it's been it's been a lot of fun communicating with everybody on there. So that's pretty much uh, my primary blog. I've run a few other uh, side posts on Battlefleet Gothic and other off-topic stuff, but uh, yeah, trying to trying to move forward with uh, pirate theme chaos dwarfs and. Uh, a whole lot of kit bashes associated with that, but it's been a blast. Nice one, nice one. And of course, um, scuttling around behind me, I have uh, Craig, my hobgoblin slave, who is under strict orders not to speak during this podcast or he will be beaten with an inch of his life. Um, for Age of Sigmar fans, uh, that's wholly within an inch of his life, not partially within an inch of his life, because <laughs> I know that's quite important to the rules, isn't it? <laughs> right. Um, 
we've got a few things we'll be talking about today, gents. Uh, we've got we've got we've got five main topics, but I'm sure we're going to go thoroughly off topic and, and have a waffle in between them. But these are the main topics we'll be talking about today. We're going to be talking about uh, the Golden Hat competition that is currently running. The deadline hasn't arrived yet, and the current Golden Hat competition, of course, is all about siege giants. Michael's going to be talking to us a little bit about that. Uh, Reaver's going to be chatting to us about his army, about the ironclad fleet, which was recently um, given a, a, a big spread in the uh, in the Brazen Bulletin. So, so readers of the Bulletin would have seen this army already. You can now hear from the guy who created it. I'm going to be talking about um, the Legion of Asgore. Uh, Asgore, Asgore. I never quite knew how to pronounce it. The Legion of Asgore, I think. Um, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be pouring a forty out for our for our lost homies there. Um, Reaver's also going to be talking a little bit about uh, Warhammer Total War, the the new Total War game coming out. And uh, Chits is going to be talking a little bit about some future speculation for, for Chaos Dwarfs, for the range and for, for, for moving forward. And after that, I'm going to be sharing with you guys a little bit of news about the next Brazen Bulletin and some of the stuff uh, some of the stuff you've got to look forward to. All right. I think that's just about everything, isn't it, gents? Mm, sounds about right. More than enough. Yeah, plenty. Plenty to be getting <laughs> on with. Well, let, let's let's kick off with the Golden Hat stuff. Michael, you, you, you were going to talk to us a little bit about Siege Giants, weren't you? Uh, yeah, and also about the the golden hat in general. Uh, nice. When the when the golden hat was announced, and it was about giants, man, I got all happy and, and warm inside because, well, for multiple reasons. For one, um, as some of you know, I, I kind of plan my painting schedule ahead. So the second or third thing I was gonna paint was a giant. So I just had to move around my to do list a bit. I mean, <laughs> that made me kind of happy. Um, but also, I love to paint large models uh, because you know you can paint a lot of stuff, and you don't really have to switch model to let something dry or stuff. Um, so I was really excited, and for some reason, I instantly knew what I wanted to do, um, which is always nice when you get inspiration like that. The only downside was um, for those of you following my blog, like two or three weeks before the announcement, I had just painted the giant. I was planning to paint. Uh, well, I started planning the giant <laughs> last I year. Know, I, I noticed that, Michael. I did notice the giant came out just before. Yeah, I mean, they were so perfect because they're like basically enormous armored giants, armored dwarfs, I mean. So, you know, I was like, hmm. But still, I, I planned to do the art giant, so I was fine with that. And, you know, most of you know that the, the uh, golden hats aren't very strict in their well, what you enter, as long as it's vaguely um, fits what fits the description, you're, you're good to go. Um, but yeah, I was really happy because the the 3D model I had was completely modular, modular, uh, so I could just mix and match what I want, print the shit, and let's go. Um, but I didn't really go overboard because, as as some of you know, I like entered very quickly, like three weeks before most of you even said they started. <laughs> uh, but now that you guys are saying, well, I kind of thinking to do this or, you know, you're, I, I'm, I'm starting to think I went too simplistic, but <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I really love the golden heads because they're, they're, they're very good motivators. You know, you, you just really want to paint something beautiful, join in and, and the best part about it is everybody is so positive. You know, even if you're the lowest tier painter, you still get a lot of uh, good responses to what you enter. That's 
Yeah, it speaks a lot of that speaks volumes about people on the discourse. Yeah, hundred percent. Earlier today, I was uh, uh, comparing some giant sizes, uh, you know, with the new Mega Gargans coming out. I still I still have have trouble calling them Gargans. I don't, you know, the the giant giants, whatever. I didn't know they were about twice the size of a normal giant. Uh, did you guys know? Oh yeah, they're bloody massive, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely massive. Yeah, yeah, very what, big. Uh, what size square base would you even have to put that on? <laughs> Multiple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, table quarter. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at my my siege castle because you know I my my gaming group we do a lot of sieges and you know a normal giant it's about this just under the size of a siege castle wall you know the plastic siege castle mm. so it's like thinking if you have one of those mega giants you know they just well they basically can step over the wall so i don't really know why it's called a siege giant <laughs> it's just like step over siege wall giants kind of giant. i suppose in the age of sigma everything's bigger the castles are probably bigger <laughs> and floating and upside down and on fire or something yeah something like that well, the beauty is there are, as far as I understand, because I only looked into it earlier today, uh, there are three types of mega gargans, I suppose. Uh, and one of them one of them is the, uh, what's it called? Something breaker. It's the, the building breaker. And it's got like this giant piece of well, rock, I suppose. I really, really like that model. So there's small chance that at some point in the future, I will probably buy that. And it's not that a small. It's a, it's a big chance, actually. Oh wow! Yeah. I've, I've always thought I'd like to get a siege gargan, but uh, I don't fancy remortgaging my house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I suppose I I'll probably wait until somebody's foolish enough to sell one for a quarter of the price or something. Nice. <laughs> yeah. God <laughs> yeah. knows where you could find cheap resin on the internet these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Maybe when the old world drops and everybody's like, ah, oh, screw this, I'm out. I mean, <laughs> when, when, when Age of Sigmar dropped, I bought the best armies of my life. So I made the best deals of my life. So yeah. Is that right from people selling their old collections and that? Yeah. Well, they were practically throwing them at you. Well, I think a few people were burning them, weren't they? Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I get selling it, you know, but burning it is like just. Stupid. So with with the siege giant, right? As a as a project, and I'm I'm hopeless at conversion and sculpting and green stuff and all that kind of stuff. The old resin forge world siege giant kit was a conversion for the smaller giants, right? But it still must be different working with a miniature that's just like almost on a different scale. I suppose it's it's well. I suppose it's easier in a sense because you don't have to do like the really tiny tiny details. You can just blow it up a bit see i'm quite different to you michael I, I hate painting large miniatures i love painting little 28 millimeter guys like the big models just fill me with dread i hate painting them you know the, the reason i like it is i touched on that before a bit you know if you like got a block of 10 20 30 whatever war is in front of you it's like okay I'm going to paint 30 skulls. After that, I'm going to paint 20 cloaks or whatever. And then I'm going to paint 20 crowns. You know, it's really repetitive. And I just don't, I feel like if I do one or two of these things, I'm, I'm done for the day. 
uh, while when I'm doing a giant or a siege, siege machine or something like that, a war machine, you know, there, there's so much you can paint on it that you can just like paint stuff on one side of it and leave that to dry and just go to the other side of it and paint the rest, something like that. It's, it's, I can like literally paint three days in a row, eight hours a day on a big model. But if I do the same amount of painting work on smaller guys, man, it's spread out over two weeks or something. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'd say a lot of it can be question of technique as well. If I feel like I just find myself switching techniques on, uh, on a big model and, and you kind of can afford to do that. You can, you know, if you're tired of a technique, you can, you can pick something else, pick some other area on it and start working on that keep you going on it if as opposed to like an infantry unit where it's convenient to just get yourself through you know like all the cloaks for example so you have a logical stopping point but i feel like especially with the wet palette uh you can you can pretty much find yourself working on on a lot of different parts of a big model as uh as your fancy takes you you just kind of drift around wherever on the model you kind of see something (laughs) that inspires you on it so (laughs) kind of get both but i've definitely that that considered had some big models that have sat for a really long time just because of the kind of that the starting requirement the the effort to get going and really Mm. delve into it can be a little intimidating yeah that's true i guess uh, another thing i really like is you know when you do or at least in my case if i do a block of infantry i can go and get the the, the base colors, you know, the, the blocking colors, I can get that done pretty quickly. But then when you go to detailing, shading, highlighting, whatever, I feel like I just go through a tarpet. It's so incredibly slow for me. While I don't feel the same way when I do a big model. It's, it's just, you know, it keeps me going. I don't get the, the, the feeling that I'm doing really, like, I, I don't get the feeling that I've been painting for two hours and you barely see it on the model. <laughs> That's so interesting. My view from the outside, and, and I think when I approach stuff like siege machines, is that the, the thing I like about ranked infantry is that it feels more forgiving of mistakes because you can hide a lot more in shadow on a small miniature. Whereas when I look at a giant, I just see so much complexity in terms of all the different highlighting and all the different angles that you're going to want to cover. And then when you've got a nice mass rank of 30 dudes, you can hide some crap ones in the middle <laughs> or up the back. Well, I did it anyway. <laughs> uh, I mean, harder I'm, to do with the siege giants. Well, that's true. But a siege giant is, is harder to, well, in my opinion, harder to screw up because it's just like four times the size of a normal infantry model. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Michael, something, something you said um, um, during your talk about a golden hat there was about how. Uh, Golden Hat competitions are a, a really good, really good motivator. And I just wanted to pick up on that because that has really been my story of joining CDO. Like um, my uh, my big hat, Age of Sigmar army, because I've got my fantasy army and I've got my Age of Sigmar army. They're slightly different styles, but my big hat one, the Age of Sigmar army, there were so many times when there were lulls in my Chaos Dwarf painting because I'm a hobby butterfly. I'm painting a different army every week. But then the competition would come up and I'd be going, oh, I know what I could do for that. And it would kind of keep me on track and it would keep me creating that army. It's a really good motivator for that, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like uh, this one specifically, we had the the artisans contest immediately before it. That was giant themed. And Mm. uh, I've had, I think uh, my siege giant was one of the first miniatures I painted for my army. 
uh, had it uh, inherited from my old uh, Black Powder Rebels Mage Knights, if anybody is familiar with that. But uh, so it was it was it was one of my first projects. But uh, so I had to do something a little different with this. But having all that art uh, from the the artisans contest to just look at and and digest and come up with an idea made it uh, made it that much easier to like want to get involved on a model that I've that I've already done. So it's nice. Um, I feel there are also a lot of uh, participants in this golden hat compared to the the the, the one uh, I think about, uh, I think it was about chaos warriors a few months back, or at least that's what I the impression I get when I read the comments in the uh, the golden hat blog about people saying they haven't started yet. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think Admiral was mentioned that, that quite a few people have, uh, have entered so far, which is really good. It's yeah. all it's also a shame because uh, less people entered last time. And I did really. Well, I'm screwed this time. <laughs> <laughs> I do think I do think giants, and I'm not one of these people, right? I've never owned a giant. I'm not interested in owning a giant. I made some slightly passive aggressive comments about the Mantic giant before we started recording. <laughs> I think, but but I do I can see that they are a popular miniature because there's so much nostalgia for the old giant sculpts out there. The release of Mega Gargants really does seem to have like been commercially successful. And GW must be looking at sales when they plan to do something like the Mega Gargants, which they've gone all in, right? From a, mm -hmm. a game system where there were maybe two or three giant sculpts active during Fantasy Battle at any one time. There's now, what, five or six? Um, yeah, so it's absolutely. clearly a market. And I guess that's being reflected on the forum, right? Giants are something that even if you don't focus on orcs and goblins or destruction armies in general, they clearly animate people and get them going. So it was a good choice. Absolutely, and they're ubiquitous, aren't they? Giants can be used in, I think, in the actual Age of Sigmar rules, due to allies and the uh, and the free giant characters they've put out as like mercenaries and stuff. They literally can be used in any army, but just thematically, a giant can be used in almost any army. If you've got a Chaos Dwarf army, there's your slave giant, your siege gargan. Mm -hmm. You know, if 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 you're a, if you're an orc and goblin player, good. They've given a, a giant some booze and told him come along, have a great time. Ogres, it makes sense. It, but even like if you're collecting empire or something like that, you can thematically make it happen. You you can fit a, a giant in in any army because kind of the kind of uh, the stereotype of what the giant is is he's that big stupid lumbering brute who could be convinced to fight for someone if it was in his own interest so i think it's a really one of the reasons why a lot of people have got involved is people have gone oh i could add a giant to this army i might not even add this giant to my chaos dwarf army but it's given me an excuse to paint a giant for something because it'll always be useful man i would love to see a bretonian buffy bands giant Man, I was it. thinking the same thing about a big hatted <laughs> empire giant. Do you guys remember when they did? Um, it was like a tribute to the old regiment of renown. It, there's a type of ogre where, like, they're all dressed in all different costumes. Man eaters. Yeah, man eaters. It's it's like that. You could do that, but with gargants. That's such a good <laughs> idea. Oh, I would love to see that. The big feather in his hat, the pantaloons, the codpiece, the size <laughs> of that codpiece. Christ. <laughs> Man, try to find a feather big enough for his head. You have to get real feather. You have to pluck it off a bird. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's some precedence there. Uh, two or three years ago with 40K, the Imperial Knights kind of took things in a similar direction where you could thematically fit them in. So I imagine there's probably some folks at Games Workshop leaning uh, 
towards that kind of, you know, they can put this giant model in Age of Sigmar and make it a fairly universal piece. That wow. People, want people love to have a centerpiece, don't they? People Absolutely. love to have something that, that really sits at the middle of it. You know, it's, it's the same way that we all feel about when you look at the size, I'm going a bit off topic here, but you look at the size of the 3D printed great Tauruses and mm. the like <laughs> secondary market great Tauruses, they're fucking massive. And they're massive yeah. because the original Great Taurus is such a good idea for a centerpiece model, but then it's really small. True. Well, I suppose if you 3D printers, it's it's easy enough to scale it down. But yeah, they are massive, especially if you're like me and you're you're like totally forget to check scale each time you print something. It's like, mm, <laughs> yeah, this is bigger than my giant. That's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be like that 10 millimeter guy you printed that the other day, Michael. <laughs> Man, he's cool. I love him. <laughs> but yeah, you are right about the old Taurus because the old Taurus was, was limited by the technology of the time. You know, it used to be that lead models were, were the, the very expensive to produce in those days and things could only be so big, really, couldn't they? Whereas nowadays, you know, the technology allows, I mean, free, as you said, 3D printing, go as big as yeah. you like. Yeah, but even injection molding plastics, I mean, have you seen some of those, uh, well, they're resin, but still, same principle. The, uh, Reaver, you, you just said it, the the, the giants. Oh, the Imperial Knights? Yeah, like the, the big one that uh, Forgeware sold for like 4K or something in that price range. I mean, that thing is bigger than my daughter. Yeah, the Warlord <laughs> Titan. Yeah, exactly. When is a miniature, not a miniature? <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I mean, and and the high watermark for metal minis was the um, the Thunderhawk gunship for four hundred quid, right? Yeah, which is famously now like eight thousand pounds on on eBay or something, um, and and that was all metal, and it is an absolute brick. Um, <laughs> and since they moved away from metal, they can get bigger and bigger, and the minis still balance because yeah. your classic your classic Taurus. He's getting a bit on the large side for something made out of metal to hang together on one super glue bond in the wings, you know? Mm -hmm. And it is the wings, isn't it? I, I stuck together yeah, a metal bloodthirster the other day. Well, I say the other day, it's actually a few months ago. A friend of mine gifted me this old metal bloodthirster, a model I'd seen as a kid in the third edition 40K rule book and fell in love with, couldn't afford it at the time. And it came up and he said, Do you want this? I said, Absolutely. Oh my <laughs> days, sticking those wings together. I've always said the, the nostalgia for metal minis, the, the only way to cure nostalgia for metal miniatures is to stick <laughs> some together. <laughs> but I mean that there's more to it than just sticking them together because you know the metal the metal parts they weren't perfect. So you had to do a lot of prep work and pinning and stuff like that. With yeah. the newer well, resin is still touch and go, but with printed models or or plastics, I mean you know, they, they just fit together so incredibly well. Uh, and well, they're lighter anyway, but the fit is just so much better that gluing them together will create a pretty strong bond. Even the, the resin models I've printed, if I have like, if I want to remove an arm or stuff like that, the arm breaks before the, the glue loosens. So it's, it's, it's insane. Mm -hmm. Do we think we're about ready to move on to another topic, gents? I think we already have by accident, haven't yeah. we? Yeah, I think that's fine. Let's go with the flow with this. Let's go with the But I think it would be a good time maybe for us to focus in on something else uh, because um, recently in our in our Brazen Bulletin uh, magazine, 
we we featured uh reaver who's with us today we featured reaver's army the the ironclad fleet uh we, we had lots of lovely pictures of that um uh, lovingly copied and pasted off of his blog and i was hoping reaver you'd be all right to, to talk to us a little bit about this army about your inspiration and just you know about the work you're doing mate oh absolutely i mean uh that's probably one of my favorite things to talk about you know who, who doesn't like talking about their own miniatures so absolutely um yeah obviously appreciate all the work you did putting pulling together that uh bulletin and yeah it's, it's always cool just seeing your stuff laid out like that but uh anyway yeah i was uh, i kind of lurked cdo for a better part of at least a year maybe uh the old forum and uh just seeing all that the, the curated content and just how everything was just available for you to just pour through you know fan artwork lore story and it's just everything is just there for you to kind of just digest and get inspired by so kind of brought a brought a buddy along in tow i'm still trying to to bring him into the fold of uh, of cdo uh he does uh he is on our our discord server actually pop, pops in from time to time but yeah we kind of we kind of took the plunge and uh since then i've just been you know trying to participate in contests and you know keep stuff rolling on on the forum which has been awesome but yeah really really started with um just kind of amassing bits we we did place one forge world order to start the whole thing off and figured we'd kick it off right and get you know get the discounted shipping to the united states if we bought enough of their you know enough of their resin so that was always good we uh i had kind of the fortune of one of my one of my buddies collecting a lot of miscellaneous stuff so i had Dark Eldar bits, Adeptus Mechanicus bits, Skaven, just giant collection of Skaven that I could kind of pour through. Uh, he had me selling that for him, so I really benefited from uh, my commission fee. Was often just, uh, yeah, I'd like those, uh, like those Guitari bits there, or like that, you know, unit of clan rats. You're probably not going to be able to sell because nobody wants them. So that was always uh, that was always pretty beneficial to give me a, a leg up, but. Um, yeah, so I really uh, kind of kicked off with uh, Unit of Caradron, which is a little uh, unconventional for a uh, fantasy player. I mostly play 8th uh, edition using fan fan rules for the most part, so a little mixture of uh, of old and, and of the Legion of Asgore. So it was kind of a little different project, but uh, I was kind of uh, nervous putting up you know, a Unit of Caradron on square bases for one of my first real entrants into the forum. So it was kind of not uncharted but still just kind of with the the tension of square and squares and rounds and the caradron not really fitting on 20 millimeters uh certainly so it was just interesting uh popping that on there and then just the the feedback and like i think uh, that was the first contest that i had that i had won and it was just yeah, it was incredible just hearing back from everybody and that people were enthused about like this kind of conversion idea that really just drove out of what i wanted to build you know was just kind of a theme that i wanted to go for and uh kind of the the reverse of Osculac really kind of fit well i like uh and then the nautical theme to it i had a lot of nautical bits from the dark eldar and some uh dark elf uh, corsairs i believe but so just had a lot of fun kind of pulling that together and kind of breaking onto the forum with with that and i've just kind of been running with it uh, ever since trying to uh trying to bring in some old and new models has been has definitely been challenging but uh just a lot of fun to kit bash with all the the great content and uh getting to experience uh 
some of Fugit's uh, sculpts. Not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but just some of the old character, uh, characterful models, and and then obviously trying to intersperse some some new bits. But yeah, it's fun. Just Chaos Dwarfs just have a wealth of different opportunities for you, just laid out. So that's always been really interesting, just to you know see what everybody else does, and you know try and take advantage of uh, you know all the inspiration that's available on the forum. But uh, yeah, one of the one of the biggest things for me, um, got a chance to go to New Zealand and uh, just driving by on the coast on probably our last day of the trip and uh, stopped by a steampunk museum just offhand, had a little bit of time before we need to catch a plane. And uh, the stuff in there was just phenomenal, just uh, fish and crabs and all sorts of different things just made out of welded metal. There were some awesome trains that just really screamed chaos dwarfs to me it was one of those couldn't wait to get home and just really delve into some conversions with the with the forge world models and especially the iron demon just seeing that kind of inspiration in real life it's just is awesome to kind of bring that home and try and try and create miniatures out of it or or even just you know sketching and art so that was awesome but yeah one thing i wanted to ask you folks kind of in in parallel with that if there's any uh, I guess we'll start with you, Oxy. If there's anything specific, like in the real world, that you've kind of just gone to and just directly influenced some kind of inspiration for the hobby, for me, it's, it's often been not not so much real world, but but an awful lot from from media and stuff I consume. That's where I get um, an awful lot of my my model inspiration. You know, every time I watch Conan the Barbarian, I end up going back to my Slaves of Darkness. It's just going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, but in, ter- in terms of like real real life stuff, um, not not so much, mate. I may- maybe I don't just maybe I just don't live as much of an exciting life uh, as you do, Reaver. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody can prepare one example. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely definitely agree with the uh, uh you know the different pop culture things you consume i mean people probably will notice there's a pretty direct bioshock inspiration uh in in some of my caradron miniatures which i think just that just the caradron just scream bioshock to me yeah 100 percent saw that the big daddies in there is that what they were called the big daddies the, yes. with, the, with the the kind of drill arms and the and the submarine helmets the i think it was on the the bottom of one of the pages that i uh, i put onto the bulletin i saw those miniatures and straight away thought yes bioshock yeah absolutely i mean that was so the caradron that i purchased was actually just uh bought one kit of the grunstock thunderers i believe and at that time, I had no intention of collecting Chaos Dwarfs at all. My uh, my buddy and I played a lot of uh, Warhammer Quest Silver Tower, and uh, we wanted some more heroes to play with. And that is a cool thing about that game is you can pull from various Age of Sigmar miniatures uh, and just paint a one-off. So we bought a kit of Caradron just with the purposes of making some some heroes for the Silver Tower game. And you know, I ended up with two or three uh, two or three Thunders off of that kit and. I held on to him for a while, but eventually that just became the one of the launching points for the whole army and the whole unit. Picked up, uh, you know, just a bunch of pictures of Bioshock and just started trying to make a big daddy out of it because I just couldn't resist. And there has to be a lot of green stuff on those big daddies. Yeah, there's there's a, some weird techniques on on that one specifically. I think uh, at some point I'd gone and 
used a green stuff roller and I found a bunch of just you know, oven baked clay and just went at it with a green stuff roller and just made like kind of collapsing tubes with it. And uh, I'm, I mean, I still have some of that today, but made like, uh, you know, they have like almost the diaphragm style, uh, almost looks like an accordion, like air pump on their back. So there, there's some, some funny bits kicking around on, on some of those. But yeah, this, I, my, uh, my trash boxes is one of my favorite, uh, favorite possessions. It's always <laughs> fun to just dig through and, and find stuff that you want to repurpose. True. I was looking at the picture of your um, your Iron Demon you posted earlier today on the on the Discord uh, because I only saw the painted one, which was terrific. Also funny that I found it through Google, so uh, that was nice. But uh, the first one I saw, I was like, "Hmm, what model is that? I don't know it." I mean, I recognized the the guns of the of the Iron Demon, but I, for somehow for some reason, I figured it was a, a, an original model just because how good it looked. So good job. Oh, I appreciate that. It's yeah, it's one of the servo haulers from from one of the 40k terrain Get kits. Team, right? Yeah, or, yeah, I think that's where it started as um as a I think that, terrain kit. I I believe I painted the original model for our kill team sessions. It's <laughs> terrific. It's nice. I've seen it used in Necromunda. It's a gorgeous model. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh yeah. You did a great yeah. job of it, Reaver. I mean, you take you took something science fiction and you, you I mean, I suppose something science fiction with a slight steampunk influence, but you you turned the steampunk up to up up, up to hundred there. Do you know what I mean? It worked beautifully. Oh, thanks. I, I appreciate that. One of the the most stressful parts of that whole build. Uh, as soon as I got uh, got into it, I knew I wanted to create some kind of like hat for the for the miniature, uh, just to kind of bring it into it. it. Ended up kind of being two hats actually, but I had some spare Forge World uh, bits from the regular the classic iron demon and uh but didn't really need to use the main engine of it so i decided to turn it turn it right up and make it into a big hat and then of course that kind of led to having a, a dwarf coming out of it almost like a conning tower on a submarine yes, so that was kind perfect. of the inspiration behind it but the the stressful part was i took a power drill to to ream out <laughs> like a half inch hole down that barrel so i could so i could stuff that uh that fat dwarf down in the down in the tower so that was stressful so stressful yeah, was, was taking, one slip yeah taking it to like a 80 dollar forge world miniature just <laughs> yeah. oh you give me palpitations yeah. just thinking about that yeah. for me though hands down the coolest thing especially getting a full page in in the magazine which if you guys haven't downloaded it yet please go on the forum and just search brazen bulletin and have a look it's on like page seven is the way that you've just got the coolest looking flame-headed dwarf surfing on the endless spell bull charge mini. Um, <laughs> oh, that was it, that was a fun one. <laughs> it's awesome. The the dwarf on top of it has got so much attitude. You've taken the flames to the next level, the lava that he's stepping on that balances the whole thing. He looks like he's surfing on top of this giant flaming bull. It's incredible. Have you noticed he uses blue in the fire as well? Yeah. Just to get yeah. that kind of like, it's like a chemical fire. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, true. I shouldn't yeah. compliment that miniature too much because I think, Reva, that was the first golden hat I ever entered. And I think you uh, you came one place <laughs> above me. So I, I should say, no, it's, it's, it's rubbish. It was a fix. <laughs> I should have won. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I stacked that one a bit because I had got the 
the Kadai uh, Fireborn as well. And I think that was all entered because it was pretty much like a enter as much as you want contest. Yeah, it's very open one. Kind of what Michael was saying earlier. Said, you know, if it's left open ended like that, you can kind of just you can run wild with it, which is a lot of fun. That was definitely one of the most open kind of en- entry criteria. So that was a whole lot of fun. Was that was that the um, your vision for what dwarfs could look like in the Age of Sigma? Was it that one? Yeah, uh, just yeah, it was that one. It's very open, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's that's why I took uh, Fire Slayer as a, as a base model. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I changed, uh, I can't remember what the actual model's name was, but I took his staff, which had fire coming out of it, and just slapped that on his head instead of a his staff. Perfect. <laughs> make it a hat. Perfect. Can make lots of things. The thing is, Reva, your your army, mate, your army to me is exactly what Chaos Dwarfs is about. I mean, you were talking about you were talking about joining the forum and there being maybe a bit of anxiety and stuff before about like I'm going to post here. Yeah, you know, I'm on squares. Are the circle kids going to like me and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> but at, at Chaos Dwarfs Online, we're just so past that i mean we've been had such little official support over like the 30 years that we've been a faction we've had such little um official support but something tiny like blowing up a planet is absolutely nothing to us do you know <laughs> what i mean we could not care less and and we our forum is just it's it's not about it's not about um what system do you play no. it's not about um uh, how I mean, we do have sections for discussing army lists and stuff, but but the real heart of what we're about is creativity, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? Because we've always been the army that's had to cobble things together to try to make the army. So it's forced us, I think, as a community to be a very, very creative community, far more creative, I think, than many other miniature communities out there because we can't just uh walk into the shops and go oh yeah i'll have a box of 10 cows dwarfs please you know it's not it's never been that easy for us i mean it might have been at some point but it hasn't been that easy for us for a very long time so it's forced creativity in us you know and long may that continue unless of course they get an official re-release in, in which case i'm quitting because i'm a hipster and i don't want to be like that <laughs> more of that later um, <laughs> absolutely more of that later <laughs> i have to agree with you i think it is it's the product of that marginalization removes the whole group of the GW community that chases the meta and it mm-hmm. removes the the bickering about whose miniature line is what. And yet the meme of these evil dwarfs who are probably from Mesopotamia is so enduring that there are so many different secondary market providers, so many different miniatures ranges that, that we can draw influences from and bits from and everything. That I think you can take it in whatever direction you want, but you've got a really good base. And I think that's what makes it such a cool little corner of the internet. No, 100%. And I think, you know, you're talking about how there are so many third party providers creating dwarf miniatures. You look up these guys doing it, well over 50% of them are either active Chaos Dwarf online users or previously active <laughs> Chaos Online. And, and I think that's because people have gone, I want to collect this army. Oh, this army doesn't exist. I'm going to sculpt this army, you know, and, and that's that why we have a lot of been parts of other miniature forums before, but we have such a, like an intimidatingly high level of, of, of green stuff use in this yeah. army because these guys have been around in the, uh, in the wilderness years before Legion of Asgore come out. And they were like, well, I've got to get my skull past dwarfs. I've got to turn those into cows dwarfs. I mean, you look through some of those old, uh, word of hash at magazines and you have a look at people like you know chub and stuff doing the old pin hat uh on on his dwarfs and all that you know real creativity so cool oh that was one of the first things i did is go and just find all the different thumbtacks that i could find and start making a box of bits 
I've got them as well, man. In my Age of Sigma army, a lot of pinheads. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose then 3D printing could be a, a negative thing to the um, well to the atmosphere that's that's on the discourse because you know I haven't sculpted a single model for my army. Well, yet I I should add, but I mean. When you talk about third-party suppliers, if you look at the, the digital file suppliers that are out there, man, there's a lot these days. And even in, in, in pretty much every style you can want, you have the the you know the 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 bald headless helmet guys. You have the face uh, with the, with the masks. They're they're also out there. And now with the new models that um, Fabelzel and others are making, you have the the old school dwarfs. So I suppose in in maybe well well just let's say five years or so. Mm, I think new Chaos Dwarf players will, will have a less of a hard time finding pretty good models out there. I also think it's really interesting that there always have been new Chaos Dwarf players, right? And that I am, we are talking about a range, the big hats came out, I was four years old. And, and Oxy, you would have been even a bit younger, right? I don't know about you other guys, but like, why am I, why do I own all of them now? Why is there still a market <laughs> for a miniatures range that was discontinued before I'd done my SAT tests? Um, and, and that's, sorry, that's a British reference. Um, but it, it's really weird that the idea is so strong that it keeps recruiting people, but it does, even though the support is weak. And even though some aspects of like the Mantic range are a bit ropey and stuff like that, it doesn't matter. There's still new people being brought into it. There's something going on with that. Well, there's still some. Well, it's not official, but well, most Warhammer players still play unofficial games. You know, the the Warhammer Armies Project or the the Ninth Age. They mm. all have pretty good support for Chaos Wars, as far as I know. So mm. uh, I suppose it's not that weird. Maybe it's even well normal. I suppose that there are more newer Chaos Wars players out there than let's say ten years ago. Who was more ready for Ninth Age and a fan base? rules project than chaos dwarf players who as oxy said earlier have been dealing with that problem for 15 20 years mm. right and yeah, and absolutely. so i think the transition you're absolutely right blowing up the planet was just like yeah all right fair enough so anyway um and <laughs> and, and that's why they, they're always getting that representation whenever people pay attention to it i don't know why gw's neglected the meme for as long as they have although Asgore did happen, and we should be grateful for the period that it did. Maybe they're like, well, they can build better models than us, so why bother? <laughs> that is true, though. <laughs> Out of pins and green stuff beards. Yeah, it's hard to say why it never really got that that support um, in the same way that other factions did. I mean, my, my initial reaction was, you know, geographically on the old world map they're a little bit out and away from the empire and stuff but then you think you know so's the ogre kingdoms <laughs> they were getting all the love weren't they mm. so it is interesting it is interesting i'm not sure i'm not sure why um they, they never got that that support in the same way but it's interesting chits that you talked about the uh the the asgore uh range because i've got a little bit prepared here to talk about the asgore retrospective and i think that's probably as a as much of a natural point as any to kind of talk about that what do you reckon fellas absolutely yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, the Legion of Asgore. Um, I, uh, I, I own a handful of 
these models, but I don't own a ton of them. But um, I've been scouring the internet, uh, reminding myself of of, uh, of what the range included. And uh, a real help to this has been um, has been Jasko's blog. So if you haven't checked out Jasko's blog on the uh, on the forum, please do. He's I'm not even going to ask him how much money he spent on Chaos Dwarfs, but he's, he's spent a few quid on Chaos Dwarfs, and he is uh, and he's put together. He's, he's currently putting together a very large Legion of Asgore army, and he's doing it with meticulous detail, isn't he? He's putting those models together beautifully. Nothing's being rushed there. The only sad part about the whole block he's doing is that they'll probably not see paint until well, my kids go to high school. <laughs> if you're listening, Jasko, that's yes, your call to action, mate. Paint the finish, guy. Prove Michael wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's really been really been impressive what he's done with some of those uh, some of those war machines, especially. And he put those together with quite a good bit of speed. Yeah, at least I, I put together two, I think, uh, Magma Cannon and Iron Demon. And other than that, I pretty much scrapped them for bits. But those were those were some painstaking builds, and he was like. After he'd gone through, I don't know, like a hundred Infernal Guard or something, he just cranked out those war machines in half a day. <laughs> That's what it seemed yeah, like anyway. They look beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So Legion of Asgore, this this army was uh was released as part of the old uh, uh Tamakans, uh, you know, the Throne of Chaos, Tamakans Horde and all that. Uh, it was a Forge World release. Um, and I believe it was around the 2011, 2012 mark, about, about 10 years ago-ish, give or give or take. So that would have put it in. Would that have been seventh or eighth Warhammer Fantasy Edition? Would that have been eighth by then? Yeah. Or end of seventh? I believe eighth. Eighth edition, yeah. It's certainly eighth on the Chaos Dwarfs Through the Ages blog. They call it Perfect. Eighth. So then it's the so then that's in the it's in the final. Well, I say final, we'll be talking about uh what could possibly happen for the uh Warhammer Fantasy uh old world at some point, but as 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 it stands now, that was a final edition of of Warhammer Fantasy battles, and uh, the book the book's beautiful. I don't own it, but I've seen it and I flicked through a copy. The book is just absolutely gorgeous. As a lot of those Forge World uh, things are, it doesn't feel like a rule book. It feels like some kind of ancient artifact that you've mm. stumbled across with, you know, uh, in universe writing, and the illustrations are just gorgeous. And it was cool because I think for the first time. We were being given Chaos Dwarf fans were being given a look at um, a look at what Chaos Dwarfs could look like post Sixth Edition. You know, when Warhammer became a bit more gritty, a bit more Mordheimy, a bit more dark and nasty, and a little bit less bright and colourful. Mm -hmm. See, our, our Chaos Dwarfs, although I love the bright and colourful stuff as well, we were still kind of stuck in those older editions, those fourth editions, because that was the last time we'd got any bloody models. So it was quite cool to see them almost. Not completely reimagined, but certainly reinterpreted through that sort of slightly more sinister lens. And I think that the whole book and and the artwork within it, it really leans into that feeling of them being nasty, of them being kind of like cold, almost like mechanical beings. Oh, that's just kind of they're gonna they're gonna slowly grind away at their enemy. They're gonna steamroll them just through sheer force and all that kind of stuff. It's really cool. Um, and the book gave almost a full army list. It gave a really good army list that involved uh, hobgoblins and, and, and wolf riders and uh, different uh, lords and heroes and bits and bobs. But unfortunately, the range never actually reflected the entirety of the book. This is before Games Workshop really got into there. If you've got a model, it's got rules. 
if if there are no rules for it, there's no model for it and that sort of thing, they've become a lot more strict in recent years. But there used to be that um, sometimes you'd find entries in your army books that there was no model for. And this was like one of the last books really kind of from that era. And uh, well, it's interesting because the Legion of Asgore itself isn't actually Chaos Dwarves. And I've seen people discuss this for an awful lot. They are Chaos Dwarves, but they are not the Chaos Dwarves, the big umbrella term for all of the Chaos Dwarves. It's a bit more of a zoom in on, on, a, on a group of Chaos Dwarves, on a faction of Chaos Dwarves is a better way to describe them, really. And, and what the Legion of Asgore is in, in the law, they're a, uh, they're a garrison of these Chaos Dwarves. Then they're living in the south part of the Darklands. And uh, among their forces involved the ones that have now become iconic from this range of the, of the Infernal Guard. And uh, these chaps are supposed to be uh, kind of like disgraced chaos dwarves that had some shame put upon them and now they're kind of uh being having to having to work in this legion it brings up kind of uh connotations of of of, of what, what they call the night watch or something in game of thrones the guys are going to fight down at the wall because they've had some kind of shame in their past Did i get that right they called the watch the night watch something like that mm-hmm. Watch. Yeah, it's been a little while since I uh, since I watched Game of Thrones. I'm still trying to forget the last season, <laughs> and um, yeah, so they've, they've got that sort of vibe where you know it's, them being there is kind of a form of, of punishment. <laughs> Chaos dwarfs being the lovely chaps that they are, you know, that punishment could be as much as your boss screwed up, so now you're screwed. It's not necessarily a personal thing, but to, to the Chaos dwarfs, that'd be a personal point of shame, and that they would need to redeem themselves through valor or through death, sort of thing. Um, and they have these face masks, which are kind of welded onto their face and, and covers them up. And they're this very kind of elite sort of um, fighting group. Now, when we look at the Chaos Dwarfs, I think I sent you fellas some pictures um, a, a little while ago. When we look at the Chaos Dwarfs of this range, the, when somebody says to me, Legion of Asgore, I really think about Infernal Guard. That's kind of in my head what that what that faction looked like. And um, you can see him there, the uh, little bloke with the big face mask and the massive fire glaive. And it's an interesting model. It's a very interesting take on Chaos Dwarfs. And I have to say, when they're ranked up together, they do look very, very impressive. What I suppose is lacking from the rank and file, in my opinion, is your standard Chaos Dwarf, you know? Even if the big hats were toned down a little bit, where is your kind of, you know, uh, Mesopotamian-looking warrior sort of model? Um, and they're an interesting model as well in terms of uh, in terms of proportions. They've got big arms, haven't they? <laughs> Am I the only one who kind of feels they're kind of hunched? They've got these big, big arms, and their, their heads are very set in their body sort of thing. Well, I don't know, because their armor also extends, you know, like the, the old Chaos Warriors the, and, and maybe the peaky uh, Space Marines. They all have the same kind of high shoulder pads or whatever they're called. I don't know what's called in English. So the helmet naturally sits a bit lower, but yeah, they do look kind of like somebody's pushing down on their. Yeah, head. yeah, they're an interesting model, aren't they? In that in that way, and I see what you mean. Like when you when you talk about not the not the current, I think they're getting, they're getting slowly replaced, aren't they, by new Chaos Warriors? But ones that I'm thinking of as the Chaos Warriors that are current, the ones that came before them were the kind of the hunchback Chaos Warriors in plastic. They do actually, you know, you say that they have that kind of vibe, don't they? Yeah, I see that. They've also they've also got it from the law direction, right? Because the old chaos warrior concept is that you're a really shit hot marauder, and then the, you ascend to be a chaos warrior. They seal you into the armor, and now you're like you're like a hybrid between yourself and this possessed armor that like keeps you going, and you get to be bigger than a normal person. 
Infernal Guard, there's nothing specifically demonic about their relationship to the armor, but they're sealed inside of it. They right? are, yeah. And it's the helmet is burned onto their face. Um, and from that perspective, I think they've definitely taken the Chaos Warrior concept and then dropped that on dwarves, right? And said, these are going to be heavily armored. There's not going to be very many of them. They're going to protect the artillery. So turn them into big armored tin cans. Nice. And, uh, and, I, and I get that. And that is a very, very cool concept. I think for, for me, the thing that might have stopped me in the past on, on, on hitting order with these things was I like seeing the characters' faces. I've always struggled to paint space marines for this same reason. And there is a there is a, 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 a an infernal yeah. guard, the champion who hasn't got a helmet, the guy who's got the the little kind of stubby horns and the big beard. What a beautiful model! What a beautiful, beautiful sculpt <laughs> yeah. and so much personality. He looks he looks like a dwarf, but grizzled and nasty and furious. I don't know if you guys have seen um, uh, Grastrax uh, painting. Of, of of that exact model um on, on his he's got his grim dark uh chaos dwarf blog and i think i might he did a painting tutorial didn't he for the bulletin he painted that model and he did these pinks and stuff around mm -hmm. the eyes made the eyes look all sullen and oh beautiful work so yeah i think that model to me i love and i kind of look at that model and look at the rest of the range and i say i wish you had a bit more of that i wish i, I love i love these guys with the tin can helmets I wish they were one unit, like an elite unit, and I had some more regular ones where I could see their faces and stuff as maybe a separate unit. I don't know if that's just me. Especially if you look at the the, the picture you sent with the whole unit, where the, the one guy is in front, uh, the, the commander. You know, if you if you like look a bit cross-eyed, it just looks like a, a big grayish reddish mass with one model in it. So it just, I I really love the models. You know, the the, the one with the helmet, but. In a unit, it looks a bit, yeah, lacking, actually, to me. They also, I've so I've worked with them quite extensively recently, right? In terms of putting together some fire glaives, um, and they are they come together in one of two shapes, basically. It's relatively difficult to pose the arms, even though they're multi kit arms. It's it's relatively difficult to pose them in a particularly distinctive way. So by and large, your Infernal Guard will end up looking pretty similar to one another. And, and as you're saying, turn into this kind of anonymous mass um, with nowhere near as much character as you find on the Demon Smiths, right? Who have got, you know, they are absolutely oozing with the same character that you see on the Castellan. Yeah, the Demon Smiths chits, I, I agree with you. Those for me are so beautiful because they are that 1990s big hat looked at through the lens of, of a modern sculptor and through the modern idea of what the old world's like and they still have that kind of vaguely mesopotamian feel but they also have that kind of like industrial gritty nasty chaos to war feel and as you said before they are just oozing with personality aren't they yeah abs absolutely that the the one with the backpack on especially that was i uh, just taking a huge fancy to that miniature it's got a he's got a furnace tiny little furnace on his backpack that just it just screams my army i haven't painted him yet but he's one of the models that i'm looking to use something you know, for some real special purpose he also has that the, the pipe option i think he has two hand options which yes pretty, he pretty does awesome. have the pipe and i've used i've used the pipe hand for a completely different miniature but uh same and it, it was 
was just such a fantastic little bit. And I ended up making a whole cast of character just based around that one hand <laughs> that I wanted a very specific like model for. It was such a pain, but totally, totally rewarding kit bash. I ended up actually switching that to his left hand. So I had to do a, I had to switch his thumb to the other side and, and redo the direction of the pipe and cut that pipe out of the, the hand just because I had, uh, I had a right hand for him already and I found, so I wanted to switch that over into his left hand to fit the pose better. And it was just, it was so totally worth it. But yeah, the, the kit just has some, some awesome potential there. And I think the center with demon Smith with the kind of the, it's got a fan type crest on the top. I think he's the only one that I've finished painting at this point, but yeah, I really love the, uh, the industrial feel of, uh, of those two specifically. Just while we're on the demon Smiths, there were actually two limited edition Demon Smiths that were also released for the range in different places, which brings you up to a total of five. And each one of them has got just as much personality as the others. I think it's such a shame that the limited edition ones didn't get a wider release. Some mm. of them can be had for pretty cheap on the internet, but um, you know, there's five of them and they're each complete individuals. I suppose if you look at the, the models, you know, as, as uh, Oxy said, they are unique and they, they seem like they're well made for the newer editions to fit in newer kind of armies. But looking at those, well, they're also painted in a, new, in a newish modern style. I suppose if you would paint them in the brighter old school colors, they would still work pretty well in an, old, in an older army, I suppose. They do, they do match up quite well. I, I, I ended up um, um, painting one of them. I think I've posted a picture of the Forge uh, of the uh, Warhammer World only uh, Demon Smith. Um, I personally, that is my favourite of the Demon Smiths they did, and I, I managed to get hold of that model. And I painted him up for my Big Hat Army, which are all, all either old nineties Chaos Dwarfs or some Zonk Dwarfs that are very closely. Um, very closely kind of inspired by that. And he does fit. He looks like part of that team. So yeah, I, I agree. But, but I painted him in, in a, in a kind of like cartoony bright style and it worked. One of the, uh, one of the things I noticed about this era of Chaos Dwarfs, moustaches seem to uh, slowly go out of fashion, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> and, and tusks changed significantly. They change from these big, rounded, goofy things that stick out immediately to these sharper, scarier-looking kind of orc tusk points um, that are usually matched with some horns of some description. Um, I think what they've done, right, and I, I do have this criticism, someday we'll do a retrospective of the big hats, but the thing is the big hats are a bit goofy, mm. right? They are a bit like slapstick in some ways. And and what they have done with the Forge World Chaos Wars is they've said, no, these people are scary. And and I have a lot of love for, for Asgore because I think they understood the spirit of the classic range and did it justice whilst taking it forward. I have to say, I do think that if if you do read um the stuff that I've written in in Among the Wicked Dawi, it wouldn't be the way that it is without the Asgore range. I was just going to say the same shit. I mean, if you if you imagine a brightly colored, slightly happy looking chaos dwarf <laughs> doing the stuff your dwarves do, it would just it would be ridiculous. 
<laughs> it's a good point because when I'm reading your stories, Chits, and I, no one's told me to do this, in my head, I was imagining characters looking more like that Asgore range just because of the, the, the contents. That's that's a very interesting point. They have made them look a little bit more sinister, a little bit more nasty, a little bit more believable sort of thing. I mean, a friend of mine, when he was talking about uh, Chaos Dwarfs recently, said about how um, the older ones were the kind of villain that would kind of twizzle their moustache while they tie you to the train tracks. Do you know what I mean? Whereas the modern ones are more the kind of villain who will just crucify you. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. A completely different kind of evil. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just say both have their place, you know? Both do have their place. Yeah, and, and what comes to mind for me, right? When you say moustaches have gone out of fashion, you're absolutely right. Skulls on the end of beards, etc. that stuff is all in there. But the most interesting omission is hobgoblins in their entirety never appeared in the Asgore range. Yes, yeah, interesting. They appear in the book as rules, but they never got a release. And it's one of those big ifs. Can you oh, just, just, just imagine what they could have done with, with hobgoblins? Sinister, leering, skulking, skinny little hobgoblins with that sculpting team behind them. They could have created something beautiful, couldn't they? Yeah, there's, there's for, for hobgoblins especially, there's also not a lot of 3D printable stuff out there. You know, either they're like more look like regular old school goblins, uh, or you don't have enough models to create a, a dynamically looking unit. But yeah, it's a shame that they didn't do it. Th that would have been nice. You guys will have gathered that I'm a, a vintage miniatures broker. I've written a little bit about it on the forum for anyone listening. Um, and, and I focus a lot on that, that 90s range. I have quite a lot of it and I've got quite a lot of spares. And I can tell you guys right now, nothing is more expensive in the whole Hobgoblin range, or, or sorry, in the whole 90s Chaos Dwarf range than a Hobgoblin Wolf Rider. I don't think the recasters are making fake ones. Met very many were made by GW originally. They're, they're just, there is no hobgoblin archer, and a hobgoblin with an axe right now on eBay will set you back £45 for one rider. Oof. For some reason, the hobgoblins, they, they existed for a tiny period of time, and they just weren't core to the Asgore experience, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, but I mean, you're talking about a, a niche army to begin with, and then yeah. you have like a niche unit in that niche <laughs> army so i suppose there's not a very big market outside places like the cdo or whatever have you you know it's it's a there's a big community for an, an unsupported army but on the other hand compare it to something like um well i don't know a very popular bretonius for example i mean it's relatively small compared to other armies yeah yeah when, when people contact me out of the blue nine times out of ten they're trying to buy hobgoblins but but that's not to say that slaves didn't appear in the range right oxy there are slaves on some of the artillery pieces there are slave ogres and bits and bobs like that, absolutely yeah and the artillery pieces in this army that for me is the real showstopper part of this each one of those artillery pieces is a diorama really isn't it a beautiful beautiful diorama of of chaos dwarf engineers and chaos dwarf sorcerers and or it's more like demon smiths i suppose and uh, 
and they're slaves and stuff. I mean, I was, I was just looking at Jasko's picture where, you know, and I suppose where his are still grey, you can actually see everything, can't you? Of that that ogre lugging that great big cannonball and all that. And a lot of those big hat miniatures with faces that we say are missing from the infantry, they appear, don't they, on these pieces? Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that the 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 war machines, the Forge of War Machines, they're they're actually the only non-printed miniatures I just had to have I, I saw them and i was like yeah that's gonna be expensive but i want those they are so beautiful looking at them right now i still feel well actually pretty happy <laughs> um also i just painted two of them and i actually can't wait to start painting the the mortar uh, they, they are terrific i think the thing that is most stand out to me about them is this whole train meme right so I strongly recommend wherever you are, definitely read Tamakan Throne of Chaos. Skip chapter one. The Chaos Dwarfs don't turn up till chapter two. <laughs> I don't care about Nurgle, right? But but you will see this concept they came up with for the artillery is that it's all pulled behind this iron demon that's like a gun-toting off-road steam train. That's badass, isn't it? That is so cool. It reminded me of the 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 big Gustav gun from World War Two, you know the the ginormous uh, cannon on the train uh, train track. When I saw those models, I was like, wow, that's it has to be inspired by that that cannon. Yeah, absolutely, it definitely is. It's also definitely inspired by the classic '90s range, right? In the same way that Oxy talks about the the big hats. If you look at them, you will see that. In the Asgore range, you've got two things that are really specific. The Dreadquake, they've taken the old, slightly goofy-looking... Um, was it called the Dreadquake? What was the original 90s metal mortar called? The Earthshaker? Yeah, there we go, Earthshaker. They've taken the Earthshaker's basic shape, and then they've put it on their like giant platform with the big ogre and turned it into a diorama of its own. And then with the, um, the one that's got all the chainsaws on the front, I can't remember which that one is. A skull cracker. Yeah, the skull cracker. That's um, that's the whirlwind. That's the concept from the original four central era, nineteen eighties, really goofy and stupid looking war machines that were being pulled by a bull centaur with like the tenderizer and the whirlwind. They've taken that concept and they've just like completely updated it to eighth edition, and it really works. Well, I suppose it also helps that all the war machines are like thematically in the same. Well, they look like one model, to be to be honest. It it could be just one war machine, the whole train. I mean, yeah, definitely they link together beautifully, don't they? And I think that's that's you know that's that works. And if it taps, you know, you're talking about that really taps into what the one of any Chaos Dwarfs kind of like USP is in the old world, in that they are an industrialized nation a heavily industrialized nation. You know, you think about dwarfs, normal dwarfs, you know, those ancestor-loving weirdos. Those guys, they've got technology, but they don't want to release it straight away, do they? They want, to, they want to tinker with it and they want to make sure it's perfect. And they might spend, you know, something might spend hundreds and hundreds of years being, being perfected before it's released on the battlefield. Chaos dwarfs are doing this by the seat of their pants and they are just going, it works push it out there it didn't work add more fuel do you know what i mean they're pushing <laughs> to its limits. 
chuck a demon yeah, in it. Exactly. it. Chuck a demon. <laughs> and it is like it almost conjures up some of those those uh you know real world examples of what industrialized warfare is. It's bloody horrible. You think about stuff like the First World War and that awful, awful warfare. That's what the Chaos Dwarfs are about, aren't they? It's it's warfare being powered by industry. It's yeah, it's grim. It's grim. And as a result, one thing that had to go, blunderbusses. Blunderbusses were too fat and goofy looking to be the chosen firearm of the Chaos Dwarf, um, which they were core to the Rick Priestley era rules. And then the blunderbuss sculpts, they were, I think they're the most numerous big hat miniature. They're at like eight um, sculpts for blunderbusses. And the the fire locks or fire glaives that the, um, uh, the Infernal Guard are toting look nothing like them. They've got nice, normal, narrow barrels. Well, they're more evocative of rifles, aren't they? If we're going back to that kind of World War yeah. sort of look, it is, you know, it's, it, an industrialised nation with blunderbusses seems slightly out of sync, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they're scary, right? And that's yeah. what the Asgore range really does in spades, is it's, you would not want to fall into the hands of these dudes. One of the uh, the the Russian alternative units, their their newer sculpts has a a fairly decent crack, in my opinion, on a, a kit that can go either way. You can put uh, different barrel ends on, and it gives you the option for uh, more of a blunderbuss cone or uh, more of a fire glaive style look with a blade on it. So that's kind of interesting. They don't really necessarily thematically fit with Infernal Guard. They're not masked or anything like that, but they would. And some of the other, uh, you know, some of the other rule sets give you the option of running a running a unit of Chaos Dwarf warriors with with fire glaives instead of blunderbusses. But uh, I don't, I don't particularly mind their blunderbuss sculpts. They've done a a decent crack at them, I believe. But they also were really going for more of the big hat style. Uh, so I felt like that was pretty obligatory for them if they wanted to if they wanted to sell. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the. The newer, uh, for those of you following, the, the, the Lizard Kingdom uh, release of uh, February, I believe it was, they had a, a, well, they called it Archibus, but to me, they look like blunderbusses. Um, I don't know if you guys saw them. They have these, like, uh, well, little skull-like masks on them, helmet mask kind of things. But they do have, actually, they do have blunderbusses, and uh, to me, they just look, well, great. There's nothing comical about that. I mean, if somebody would stuff that in my, would, would stick that in my face, that <laughs> would be shit, to be honest. I agree, and I think RA, you're absolutely right. I've got that kit, um, and I put it together at Christmas time, um, and I do think they've done the right thing with that because both ideas are cool. Yeah. Um, I don't want to lose fire glaives because they got massive bayonets on the end, and they look horrible and chaosy. But then on the other hand, blunderbusses are pretty iconic to the old range and they definitely have a place into the future as well. But GW don't seem to have agreed. <laughs> I think a lot of what the Russian alternative uh, miniatures do is they do big hat miniatures for a legion of Asgore generation. They've, mm. they've, they've, they've maybe stayed slightly truer to, the, to a more precise vision of what Chaos Dwarfs were, but they've done it so that they can stand next to these more modern Chaos Dwarfs and still look like they're part of the same force, you know? I think they work very well together, personally. Uh, agreed. 
Another model that got a real, real facelift um, when the Legion of Asgore was was first released was the Bull Centaurs. Now, Bull Centaurs being those kind of very, very rare and important mutations in Chaos Dwarf society, normally serving as temple guards and stuff. And uh, when we think about the classic Bull Centaur, we think of, you know, a Chaos Dwarf with a big hat, curly moustache, curly beard, and the rest of him is a bull. These new ones went down a totally different route, didn't they? I mean, first of all, they are massive, aren't they? Absolutely mm. massive. And second of all, there is no hat to be seen. In place of the hat, there's uh, massive horns. And of course, as we've discussed already, by this point in history, moustaches had definitely gone out of fashion. Uh, but how do we feel about the the, the bull centaurs of, of this range? Well, I love them, actually. <laughs> but to, well, I never collected any older Chaos Dwarfs yet. And depending on how my financial status, maybe never. We'll see. I know, but... I know a broker, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they are absolutely terrifying to look at. They are, in a good way, they are beautifully sculpted uh, models. I happen to agree, mate. I think they're gorgeous. I think they're absolute works of art. They're just, they look like pure fury they look like uh i don't know hash it given physical form they're very very cool models i think my only criticism of this model is that there's not enough there are free poses and there are no musicians no drummers nothing like that you know and if you if you were to rank up a load of these you get a lot of repeated poses very quickly wouldn't you true i mean that's never stopped chaos dwarf players before so why should it now Good point. Well made. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. It's also kind of a curse that you get by being given really characterful and flavorful monopose minis. And and other other ranges suffer from this with modern monopose minis are really, really distinctive looking. But that means that if you ever have repeats, they actually look worse in a group, right? Those The Bull Centaur renders all look like they are heavy muscular things that are moving at great speed and are going to do a lot of damage when they collide and i think that is a fantastic reinterpretation yeah they are brilliant aren't they one of the best things i like about them is that even the dwarf part looks like like bull parts to me you know i, I got a picture of one of them in front of me i can share it with you guys if you want but that top part is just like it's more like ogre than than dwarf it's just it looks like a blob of muscles instead of an, uh, an actual model yes yeah, true the earlier ones were much more of a literal interpretation of half chaos dwarf half bull they were literally that weren't they half a chaos yeah. dwarf and half a bull maybe, maybe they're a little bit chunkier a little bit bigger than the the regular chaos dwarfs but these ones are entirely entirely new beasts uh altogether but i, I do get what you say about about the ranking up but uh when you have the repeated poses it actually looks worse than having one single kind of boring pose because <laughs> it starts looking a bit like they're doing a synchronized dance or something, doesn't it? But as Michael says, it's never stopped Chaos Dwarf players before. We're not afraid of a bit of green stuff, are we, fellas? Do you know what I mean? We, we, we can do things with these models and they are beautiful models. In fact, they've been now set the precedent really for what a bull centaur looks like. If you look at what a lot of these 3D print miniature companies yeah. are making now and Russian Alternative are doing similar things. I think Russian Alternative have hat options and bull head options, but, but generally speaking, the third parties now have kind of accepted that this is what a bull centaur is and they've kind of ran with that. It's just a shame my army doesn't look like it. They've got big hats. <laughs> my army looks like that because i was very fortunate i managed to 
hold of um I think four or five uh of the of the uh what's his name? Kazakh the destroyer or something the the oh a calf I can't remember the guy from Blood Bowl the the, the Blood Bowl hero uh Kastorf. Oh I know the one you mean yeah because yeah. Games Workshop did um did them as as made to order and I'd already picked up a couple of eBay. The, the calf the unstoppable that's it. So I'd already um I already owned a couple of him and when uh Games Workshop did him and the Chaos Dwarf Blood Bowl team on a on made to order a little while ago I picked up a bit quite a bit to um. Just, just as conversion fodder for my big hats, really. But um, mm-hmm. I managed to make a unit out of him by doing little reposes on his arms and stuff. So don't look too close at that unit. They've all got the same face. <laughs> <laughs> I've just recently done exactly the same thing. My, my um, uh, made-to-order box arrived today. Um, I got it secondary, right? I, I bought it from someone who didn't open it. Because that's slow delivery, mate. <laughs> and, the, and the Blood Bowl... The blood bowl um, Chaos Dwarfs minis, they are obviously really good for conversion. You just need to put a weapon in the hand. And then I think, yeah, you fit them right into a unit. It's exactly yeah. what I did last Golden Hat. Yeah, exactly. Well, have we got anything else to talk about Legion of Asgore? Oh, yeah, I did. There was the Great Taurus. The Great Taurus from Legion of Asgore. Massive, isn't it? Absolutely massive. Yeah, it seems like that one really really set the precedent for all of these uh, other companies going going to that size with, with the... Uh you know, with their, your Lord on Taurus or great Taurus or Bale Taurus or whatever it may be. But yeah, that, that model's fantastic. Honestly, I, I probably won't ever seek to, to get one explicitly, but, uh, it's still been kind of a, a landmark that I'm like, oh, I, I need a, I need a piece like that. And it's so far, I haven't quite landed on what I'd like, but it's one of those that you, you just feel like it, it's iconically chaos dwarf and will really, really bring a force together. If you have something like that. Mm. Forge World can't resist going massive. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but it's not only Forge World. I mean, every... Um, well, at least since Age of Sigmar, if you look at an army, every army has gotten a model that's like... Well, no, actually, it's since end, the end times. It, it started in the end times. You know, the Skaven got their... Uh, what's it called? Uh, the, the giant red-like... I forgot the uh, name. The Vermin Lord? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's huge. And every army is getting one or two of those absolutely massive models. Then you get the the, the mega gargans that are, well, probably I guess even bigger. So I suppose it's it's only fitting that we have a, a massive model of ourselves for ourselves. You might be able to argue that this isn't even big enough. No, you know, true. We're still we're still lacking the 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 super monstrous creature. We just have a regular monstrous creature. <laughs> Well, I think I think the thing is, the Legion of Asgore was clearly made by people who looked at the Big Hat range in real detail and thought, "This is cool. I just need to make this cool by like turning up the sliders in a couple of places." We're going to keep big hats, but not everyone gets to wear a big hat. If you're wearing a big hat, that means you're running a piece of artillery or you've got magic powers. We're gonna keep the bull centaurs, but they're going to be like more like hulking monstrosities. And and by the time you get to Shatol, the executioner, he's huge as well. By the way, he's bigger than the renders. Oh, he's massive. Yeah. Um, and and you know that's about that whole centerpiece concept. Mm. And and I think they they finally they ended. They said this range needs a capstone, and they chose the giant bull because it is the the classic emblem of all of Chaos Dwarf society. And so they have. He's got his horns down. 
He's a huge chunk of beef, right? He's got massive shoulders for a cow, if you see what I'm saying. The only thing I don't like about the miniature is that his face is facing away from us. But I think that they drew that from life, if you see what I'm saying. I think they looked up what a bull does when it charges and put that sense of motion into the miniature because he's just kind of striking the ground, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and do you know the pose is very realistic, isn't it? I've seen people do make him look like he's flying and stuff to, to make his face face a bit more forward, but it does then lack that, that direction, that movement. I think you're right, they have they have tapped into that there. An interesting uh, model that is that is completely absent in this range, of course, is is the other big monster we had from the big hat days, which is the Lamassu, isn't it? We don't have a Lamassu in this range. We have we have a Taurus, but we don't have a Lamassu. And normally when you think about Chaos Wars, they're the two big flying monsters you pick from, don't you? I wonder why that was. I wonder if it was just it was too out there for what this range. This range was trying to be grounded and trying to be a bit more, bit more gritty. Also, this range was leaning a little bit more towards the industrial and a little bit more away from the magical. Magic's still there, but it's magic inside machines. So I wonder if the Lamassu was just a bit too crazy for that range. I, I think to take the Lamassu to the current well, the current generation of, of Chaos Wars would either require to change it, well, too much, and it would be risky, to, well, you know, because people have a, an image of a, a Lamassu in their head, or it was just, well, maybe too crazy, as you say, or... or you know, because it's let's be honest, it's it's rather crazy looking model. Yeah, absolutely, it's mad as a box of frogs, but I love it. And that's that's by the way why the entirety I'm not spoilers, but it's pretty obvious if you know the Chaos Dwarf range. My obsession with the Lamassu is the reason for among the Wicked Dawi even existing in the first place, um, which is obvious when you read it. But but we'll come to that later. I think the the thing is that if you look at the range, if we all step back and zoom out. So much of this range is big single models, mm. big single artillery pieces. They've got three of those. No other army has got three of those at that size because each one of those carriages is like the size of your outstretched hand. Shartor <laughs> mm. is the size of a big Warhammer monster, like a big one. The, the renders and the, the champion of the renders, whatever his name is, um, they oh. are hefty. And then the giant bull is so big that to add another monster on top of it that a slightly different type of Chaos Dwarf rides, I think they just kind of thought it was one bridge too far. They're already selling us a rocket launcher, a mortar, a tank steam engine, and a giant spiky like chainsaw machine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was. I think it was probably a bridge too far for them. Well, uh, on the other hand, you know, it, it would have not been that complicated to add a Lamassa head to the to the, the, the Taurus kit, I suppose. So because you know they do that a lot. They, they bring out one model or or one box with three, four different build options. And and when you look at this model, I, I suppose it would have been easy for them to just add a, a Lamassu head and, and say, well, if you want both, buy two boxes. So, <laughs> if you, well, you know, that's been their tactic for quite a while now. So, uh, absolutely. In that context, uh, it's it is quite weird, actually. I, I do think, uh, for me, it feels like it's something they didn't really want to mess with for some reason, very specifically. 
Yeah, I think creatively that it was just a direction they weren't going in. I think it was just a little bit too much of of that old look. And and it's so bonkers. I mean, it's so... But the Lamassu is very, very, very deeply rooted in that kind of Mesopotamian influence of Chaos Dwarfs. And Chaos Dwarfs are two things, really, aren't they? They're Mesopotamians and they're evil industrialists. And I think the Asgore range was evil industrialists with Mesopotamian flavour. They weren't Mesopotamians with an evil industrialist flavour. You know what I mean? And maybe that's where the Big Hat and the Legion of Asgore are slightly different. One leans slightly one way, one leans slightly the other way. Okay, first, I think we've we've come to the end of that, really. We've said just about everything we were going to say about the Legion of Asgore range. So we're going to move on to our next topic. Now, the next topic, uh, Reavy, you're going to be taking this, aren't you? It's about the Warhammer Total War game that's coming out soon. Is that right, mate? Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely been following this one for a while. I'm pretty, pretty excited, for, uh, especially for the potential for Chaos Dwarfs to be arriving in the setting. But uh, even more so than that, Total War in general, kind of, uh, I feel like it, it launched the hobby, not just for me, for, for some other folks. It's really brought some interest uh, from the video game realm where uh, the Total War series was mostly, uh, maybe entirely historical titles, uh, not fully aware of all of them. Is that is that correct, Chits? I know you've played uh, a fair amount of Total War. Yeah, yeah, I've played Total War since um, since like a well since they made the first one, Shogun, back in the two um, thousands, um, and they've all been very strict historical um, rank and file games up till Total War Warhammer One, which was oof back in 2014, 2015, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. And and I think the thing that has been such an unexpected connection is that that kind of rank and file squares um, fighting that the games depend on has really given the Warhammer Fantasy Battle style of tabletop game a new lease of life. I don't think the old world would have been announced without Total War Warhammer generating interest in all those old ranges. Definitely. Oh, I'm I'm sure you're right. I mean, uh, for one, not having played total war until warhammer one my my buddy who's more uh more like yourself who's played every total war title uh known to existence and 100 percent achievement uh, achievement uh, on most of them but uh which is just a whole nother a whole nother animal but yeah the uh just getting to kind of experience that uh and it, it brought him into the hobby and and uh and me into total war and we kind of uh experienced co-op campaigns together which uh, anybody who, who listens and is is interested in Total War, the co-op campaigns have just been uh, just so ace for me. I've been uh, really enjoying, uh, you know, doing those. I have a couple of friends that I've I've gone through full campaigns with, and uh, especially the folks that also get into the hobby uh, with me. And uh, you know, co-op campaign can be pretty lengthy, but uh, if you have something to do off turn, which I'll say painting and or even something like scraping mold lines. Uh, and you can you can find yourself getting quite a bit done in the off turn. So that's been, I mean, I have painted a fair number of chaos dwarves just uh, you know sitting there on on campaign turns or off my campaign turns. So definitely that's been that's been a huge huge amount of fun. And the uh, and when we were playing Total War Warhammer One, you know, we're finding ourselves experimenting with all these different factions, and we're like, well, what what, what would we really like in a in a faction? Nice. To really like, you know, have the the most fun battle experience, and they're like, "Wow, we really like the playstyle of the dwarves, but it'd be really nice to have some monsters, you know, some of the more exciting units, and and probably some magic too. The dwarves are lacking in magic, so that sounds really familiar. And that, uh, so I'm really excited for the the chaos dwarves to kind of come onto the scene 
as uh, as I'm hoping they will. There's definitely potential for them to be arriving. I'm, I have some theories on it, but uh, they've been doing some interesting uh, expansion in in Total Warhammer 2 recently on on the campaign map that includes all of the the factions to this point, and uh, they tend to start expanding the map uh, as they're uh, going to be releasing new content. Uh, they've evidenced that in the past, and you're starting to see areas near the Darklands uh, start to show up, and uh, a huge portion of the map that's currently just kind of the fog of war. You, know, you can't see anything out there, but it's where, in theory, uh, one could expand into the Darklands. So um, they have done it before when they, they transitioned from Total Warhammer 1 to uh, the second game. They released a uh, pre-order content that you could use in the first game while you were waiting for the second game to come out. So uh, there's been lots of theories over what that content could be. It could be Chaos Dwarfs, but uh, there's probably some more likely candidates, and the Chaos Dwarfs might uh, might show up in a later DLC. But um, you know, we can hope certainly. A hundred percent, they will come in the fullness of time, right? And and if you're not a fan of the games to date, just for reference. The, the DLC that was the pre-order DLC for the second game that um, we're talking about was Norska. And like Norska is an independent faction with skin wolves and loads of super obscure Forge World only style minis, right? And and the thing that Total War Warhammer has done in the last two games is they have brought obscure, poorly understood ranges with much less to their name than the Chaos Dwarfs, by the way, stuff like Norska as an independent army list or um, the Vampire Pirates from an issue of White Dwarf got their own full faction um, that was actually the most powerful faction in the meta for quite some time. Um, but, you know, because of that fact, the idea that a, a faction with a full miniatures range, even if it's one from the 90s, but in reality with Asgore, it's not. It's way more recent than that guaranteed you're going to see the chaos dwarfs at some point and whenever a faction gets released in total war warhammer the market for their miniatures goes mad so there's lots to expect in kind of the future of chaos dwarfs because a huge number of players are going to discover the faction because they're already hooked on the video game and it's going to be the new cool stuff that comes out the only question is whether it launches when the game launches or whether it launches as DLC later on down the track. And that is, you know, that is something we can only speculate on. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I have, I have a hunch that, uh, I mean, the Tomb Kings, this uh, uh, fantasy army that I used to, used to play quite a bit, one of my first fantasy armies. And they, they kind of held that carrot out for, for folks uh, in the second game. And that was the first major DLC release. And, uh, you know, Tomb Kings had a full range, uh, certainly fleshed out to the same degree that, the chaos dwarfs are potentially more on the tomb king side but i could definitely see them handling it handling like that and and, and dangling that carrot out a little bit further but uh yeah it, there's definitely it's encouraging what, what they've been able to do recently you know they've they've shown that they're they're pulling from forge world uh, in depth they've pulled from uh, the monstrous arcanum uh you know the necrofex colossus being an example of that uh so that gives us you know great hopes for some really awesome uh models to come into to come into the game in terms of the Kadai destroyer and, and things of that nature. So they've, they've really shown uh, creative assembly, the creator that they can, uh, that they can flex those muscles and, uh, and they've even created their own legendary Lord. So that really opens up, uh, 
really opens up uh, things like Cathay and, and Kislev, where uh, you know they have some creative freedom to work with here, especially in this third game. So that and and this uh, you know the old world and and its release really could uh, have some neat collaboration between between the game and and the old world as as that comes into being. So that'll be really interesting to see, especially for those uh, who are. Um, you know, up to date and what, whether there's a cross compatibility with Age of Sigmar. I know there's a lot of topics to discuss on that, but it, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how Creative Assembly kind of uh, asserts themselves uh, in that process. Especially because their core gameplay mechanic, and this is this is bigger than Warhammer, right? This is going all the way back to Total War, is that in the battle map, you order around ranked blocks of infantry and cavalry and artillery, right? So you move troops in all Total War titles in the way that you move troops in Fantasy Battle, not Age of Sigmar. And um, the, the, the latest historical period that Total War's ever done is like Napoleonic, which is still rank and file fighting. And from that perspective, if Creative Assembly are wielding more influence, which it's clear that they are, then it looks set to have a knock-on effect for the old world because it will require the old world's um, fans to be working on square bases. Um, if, you, if you look at what's happening in Total War Warhammer 3, just for context, they've announced Cathay and Kislev will be coming out for that video game. But they've also announced that those two factions will be coming to the old world as miniatures ranges through Warhammer community as well. Um, which, not to trip on to, to my topic later, but implies heavily that they are going to be bringing back um, some miniatures or even inventing completely new miniatures ranges or factions from Total War Warhammer 3 onwards, which again has implications for us. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if the map is looking east, that's only going to be good for us, really, isn't it? And um, I, I'm not massively, massively into computer gaming. I mean, I played one of the older uh, Total War titles. I played I played Rome Total War back when that was new. When I was a student, I was thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, it scratched a Warhammer itch. Do you know what I mean? If I couldn't get a game of Warhammer, I'd play Rome Total War and it would give me that same that same sort of uh, little little feeling of, of, of something I don't get out of Age of Sigmar, actually. Um, I like Age of Sigmar, don't get me wrong, but it's a different game. It's a skirmishy game, isn't it? You know, Whereas you don't get that feeling of, I'm a general, and these are my blocks of troops moving around, and you definitely got that from the uh, from the Total War games. But they are definitely, definitely linked because I was watching a YouTube video where they were they were talking about um, Kislev in in the uh, in the video game, and they're working off of the exact same concept sketches that the Forge World team and that are working off of for um, for this new game, this new miniatures game. So. They're almost one of the same, aren't they? It's feeling like this is going to be a miniatures game based almost upon, in many ways, based upon this this video game that's coming out. Yeah, for sure. And with those factions uh, those being announced, I, I feel like there's some some much needed diversity to be added in the in the human factions. I, this third game could be uh, pretty impactful, and I, I feel like it'll be a good gateway for folks uh, to get into the hobby as well. In addition to just being yeah, you know, something that can bring attention to chaos dwarfs as well. There's, you know, more reaching implications than that for sure. I think I did say to you the other day, though, Oxy, it's such a foot shot for GW to have discontinued some of the miniatures that hmm. the Total War games have made popular 
and and I think the empire has been a faction that has been particularly badly impacted by that. But one of two things has happened with the Asgore discontinue. Either Forge World have discontinued the Legion of Asgore because they are absolutely tone deaf and don't understand that if they had just kept those molds operational for another, what, six months, maybe a year if Chaos Dwarfs are a late game DLC, then they would have seen a massive uptick in those sales. Or they've discontinued them for a good reason in the way that they have done with um, Blood Dragons, right? So Blood Dragons have just been discontinued from the GW store, but that's because we know that a huge number of vampires are about to be released. Yeah, you see, with Forge World, I just never know. I never know. Sometimes they are geniuses and sometimes they are borderline incompetent with the way they release and discontinue things. I can only imagine that they've got a big kind of wheel of fortune somewhere in their office that they spin, <laughs> and wherever it lands on, that's what they do next. Have you seen the episode of uh, South Park where they, yeah, they cut the head the off US the chicken? Dodgy, they cut the head off the chicken. <laughs> yeah, I think Forge World has got one of those, mate. Because Games Workshop as an entity always seems to, well, at least in recent years, have fought quite well and fought ahead of things. You know, if I think I think pre-Age of Sigmar, probably not so much planning ahead and not so much good communication with fans and not so much understanding of their audience but certainly this more modern games workshop you know we take for granted this warhammer community this twitter online presence this actual conversation with fans actually happens now because it's Mm. actually quite a recent thing but this modern games workshop they do seem to have their heads screwed on pretty well they do seem to be able to think ahead they do seem to have to plan things and they seem to be able to sell us models that we want you know they tap into the nostalgia when they need to they give you something new when they need to but while i say that forge world as a subsidiary of games workshop it carries on in a very very different way it always feels like a small third party manufacturer a small like your mates miniature company do you know what i mean in in, in that its resources and its uh, communication. And the, thing, the, fact, the fact that things still do just disappear off of their website, sometimes you get last chance to buy it, sometimes you get, oh, that thing doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and there's always a, the terrible, terrible third option that they just remove them because, well, sales are bad and they know nothing's going to be released for them. I mean, I mean... <laughs> I'm being the negative advocate of the devil here, but it, it's still an option. I think, I think the other aspect to it, though, is that the Forge World's pricing is absolutely mental. <laughs> like, the, the, the amount that it costs to put a good, solid Infernal Guard, like a legitimately acquired one, on the table um, stopped huge numbers of people on CDO from buying Asgore minis to the point that they would, right? We've talked yeah. about it already today. Um, and and that kind of exploitative pricing, it killed Deathcore of Krieg, killed Elysian drop troops. It seems to have killed the Legion of Asgore. And it, it, I'm an Australian, right? I have a lot of Australian friends. Um, I, I help broker miniatures for them sometimes. But, but Forge World Resin gets absolutely demolished by Chinese recasters in Australia. I would say maybe 5% of Asgore miniatures in Australia are actually legitimate Forge World purchases. Because the pricing is tone deaf. Mm. They do kind of push the customer into the hands of the the recast merchants. You know, they they do because the pricing is prohibitive. I mean, I I have a disposable income. I wouldn't be doing Warhammer if I didn't have a disposable income. But I weigh up my disposable income 
as to what can I get for my money? You know, let's say I've got 50 quid spare. That could get me a start collecting box of a lovely Age of Sigmar army. That could get me a handful of models from Forge World, maybe one model if it's a specific model from Forge World, and it totally prices an awful lot of people out of it. Now, this is the interesting thing about what's going on with this 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 new collaboration between Games Workshop and Forge World, because they've said that this new game isn't a Forge World game; it's Games Workshop Studio working with Forge World Studios, because rank and flank games naturally have large body counts, don't they? Even like a, a sixth ed fantasy army has a large body count. An eighth ed fantasy army, oh my days, a Kings of War fantasy army, do you know what I mean? These are these are these are games where Absolutely. you need a lot of toys. And if it's a lot of toys, and if those toys are costing you any more than a couple of quid each, a lot of people aren't gonna be able to play. Besides being able to play, I just I mean, I, I could probably buy a, a significant force, but I don't want to buy a significant force because for the same amount of money, I can buy maybe two or three discontinued armies elsewhere, secondhand or something like that. It's just, yeah. it's, I mean, <laughs> I am pretty stoked about Jesco's army, as we said before, because it's just a massive force and it's going to look terrific. But really, I do not want to know what that guy spent on his army. No, I don't either. I won't ask him. <laughs> but by the same token, like I think we also, without ever having to send an email to a scary Chinese email address and, and do an illegal thing on PayPal, right? We all could really easily go to the legitimate second market. And because we play with relatively badly supported armies, we usually don't play in GW stores. We usually don't go to tournaments or Warhammer Worlds buy really good looking chaos dwarf miniatures for a much better price the mistake here and the reason why we're talking about this in relation to total war warhammer is that the infernal guard are guaranteed to make an appearance probably as like top tier infantry in that game and when they do gw could have sold a bunch of them because even if they are planning to reboot the the range it won't be in time for creative assembly to use anything else as inspiration all of the Asgore miniatures are going to appear in that video game. And when they do, the opportunity to sell legitimate versions of them to customers who are going to come to our forum and start talking about, oh, I love Chaos Dwarfs, I want to buy an army, who's got an army? You know, they're just going to drive them into the hands of the wrong people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that certainly presents some interesting uh, you know, design choices as to what Creative Assembly will do around things like Hobgoblins and and other kind of the auxiliaries to the to the chaos dwarfs and other things since there'll have to be some some intermingling with uh with some precedents uh in older editions of chaos dwarfs so that it'll be really interesting to see what uh what kind of aesthetics land in the game as you know holistically in addition to the legion of asgore which i'm sure will make uh an appearance in in one of the as a legendary lord with his own you know special buffs to to those types of units that are you know specific to asgore so be interested to see what else gets included because they'll need more they'll need at least four uh four different lords and you know associated units especially because the two different types of hobgoblin look totally different right the two eras of hobgoblin meaning like the scythian hat ones from the original chaos dwarf range but then the dogs of war era um ogla khan's wolf boys with the much more stereotypically caricatured asiatic faces 
um, are two very different looks for Hobgoblin. Generally speaking, I think they're going to go with the Scythian hat, A, because it's mm -hmm. slightly less controversial, and B, because it was a larger range anyway. Um, but they are going to have to cross that bridge at some point in the same way that they're going to have to deal with stuff like Araby, where, you know, it comes from a different time, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. Some of those, some of those like stereotypes and some of those, uh, like those, those almost, uh, cartoonish, uh, interpretations of, of different races, features and stuff in miniatures is going to have to be readdressed and stuff. Absolutely. Um, I do love the old, uh, kind of Scythian, uh, looking hobgoblins, but, um, the Oglacan ones, man, I've got to admit, they, they make me cringe a little bit when I see those faces. There's something about them that just sets my teeth on edge and goes, that's, that's probably that's probably not okay. As you say, a different time. I wouldn't be surprised if if Creative Assembly uh, would go back to, if, if they're doing an Asgore sort of army in, in their next game, they go back to the art because there were some beautiful, beautiful um, paintings of Hobgoblins in the Tamakan's book, which never got turned into miniatures. So I can only assume that there are also concept sketches and bits and bobs like that kind of uh, knocking around. And they lent more towards the old 1990s range, a little bit less big hat and a little bit more kind of like furry helmet sort of thing going on. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they used some of that as inspiration. I think the biggest shame is that they're not able to use stuff like, I'm gonna sound like I'm shilling for them, but it's just because they're on my brain. Stuff like the Titan miniatures stuff that's way more Mesopotamian influenced. They're not gonna be able, unfortunately, um, to give us um, you know, a big miniature with a giant cuneiform tablet on his back, um, which would have been cool. But ultimately, they've got so much to work with. And, and what they proved with Vampire Coast is that they will do their own work where something is incomplete. If if GW haven't taken a particular interest in it, as, as GW never did in Vampire Coast, it was just a cool idea they had, Creative Assembly will say, well, that's a really cool idea. We've got this license and we talk to the guys from Warhammer World every day. So we're just going to try and execute on this as far as we can and put loads of stuff in game that was talked about maybe in a White Dwarf article, but but never got a miniature. They really outdid themselves on, on the Vampire Coast there. That was a, I mean, it was a stellar from a gameplay perspective, but just the the models that, you know, the entities they made there, the the Necrofex Colossus that they pretty much just, you know, built off of off of the Monstrous Arcanum uh, sketches. And that was just fantastic work. And they really uh, filled out that range in addition to anything that, you know, showed up in the White Dwarf. They really were able to find what they needed to make uh, to make a good roster. So. Yeah, got high hopes for for what they can achieve, uh, you know, with something like the Chaos Dwarfs that has a lot of good, uh, good reference material. Are gonna get the Lamassu boys. I don't <laughs> know what it's gonna look like. But they're not gonna they're not gonna leave him in the starting block this time. I'm sure, and it shows you that it feeds in right because, as you mentioned, I, I'm not I'm not even into the game that much, but just from being into the hobby. I was aware that Vampire Coast was such a popular, popular thing from this game to the point that the fans had been on Twitter and other social media banging on to the Warhammer community. We want vampires. We want vampires. I think vampires was what it kept getting condensed to. And lo and behold, vampires are getting all the love in Age of Sigmar now. I mean, those things have to be connected. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's been long overdue for, for Warhammer to get a... Um, modern, nice war, uh, computer game, and it's it's only normal that if a game is successful, that you know it 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 gets reflected to the game itself. 
for well, at least that's that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of positive things that could come out of this game. A lot of positive things. Yeah. I think um, I think that's probably a pretty natural point to kind of go on to what what you wanted to talk about, Chits, because we can't we've kind of dipped our toes in this anyway. The very nature of talking about a game that hasn't come out yet and how it might influence this old world game means we've already done a little bit of speculation about the future. But you've got a little bit to say, haven't you, about future speculation for uh, for Chaos Dwarf miniatures? Yeah. So uh, if you know me at all from the forum, you'll know that I'm a bit of a law buff. If you ever see my Reddit user, you'll see that I'm I'm a law buff across all the GW properties. And and so I've been really interested in Age of Sigmar around the edges, picking up what I can about the direction of travel for the Duarden because the Duardin are absolutely the successors to the original dwarves and all the old dwarf kits that are still being made fall under their kind of heading. And in the, the lore for Age of Sigmar, Chaos Dwarfs have appeared. We've also got one miniature as part of a slightly obscure position. Most of you will know who I'm referring to, but we'll talk about it in more detail in a minute. And so I think it's worth us speculating on if Asgore is not the future, right? If they're not going to try and pump Asgore back up, is that because it's the end of the line and we've never been able to make Chaos Dwarfs that sell? Or is it because, as I mentioned, I think earlier, as they did when they discontinued the Blood Knight kit this week or, or in the last couple of weeks, is it because they're getting ready to approach Chaos Dwarfs in more detail and, and to electrify them in the way that they've done like Sea Elves and Sky Pirate Dwarfs and all this kind of stuff? Are they going to be pushing forward into that Chaos Dwarf concept? And so to review, I'm just going to take the group through a little guided tour of all the things that have popped up in Age of Sigmar that I've been able to find. And then we'll talk about what we think the future might hold. And the first thing to talk about is the miniature, because the tabletop always leads the law. And if you look on the Warcry Iron Golem Warband, which is um, primarily, I believe, a Cornate Warband, or certainly kind of Cornate adjacent, you know, they wear a lot of red and a lot of melee weapons. There is one Chaos Duardin with two hammers um, wearing a, a mask fixed to his face. Um, and and he, he really is pushing the berserker aesthetic much more than he is really meaningfully connected to the old Chaos Dwarf concept, right? There's lots of bronze, there's lots of armor, but that's the theme of the entire warband, right? This is one dwarf surrounded by, what, two, four, six, seven other non-dwarfs kitted out in the same way. So from that perspective, what he represents is really the most basic idea for Chaos Dwarfs in future, which is dwarfs who worship the individual Chaos Gods. Um, and, and what you're looking at with the Iron Golems is that concept being executed in a relatively tame and uninteresting way, right? This is not a distinctive faction. This is, and dwarfs are also corrupted by Chaos, so sometimes you'll see them. Um, which I think we all agree at Chaos Dwarfs Online. It'd probably be a bit of a shame. But it is the state of the of play at the moment. And, and one thing that's not talked about on the forum that I wanted to draw everyone's attention to is the book tied to that warband, an ebook, which you can get on Black Library for about three pounds, called The Iron Promise. And The Iron Promise 
is a story about the Iron Golems warbands who um, are trying to find out why their Chaos Duardin allies have stopped delivering them new arms and armor. And what Iron Promise shows us is one of two examples in Age of Sigmar of, yes, there are organized Chaos Dwarfs. Yes, they live in a small society. Yes, they do dwarf stuff, but they serve evil, right? So they make arms and armor, and that does not tie them directly to Mesopotamian concepts or Hashet. So I strongly recommend three pounds on Black Library, The Iron Promise. Have a look, see what you make of it. The other thing, and the thing that is really well understood by people on the forum, is Tsar Vixer. And Tsar Vixer is the inspiration for the Golden Hat tournament that actually started our podcast, right? And Tsar Vixer is a giant oil rig in um, the realm of, of Shayish, the realm of death, um, from which Chaos Dwarfs, who behave much more like our conventional Chaos Dwarfs, do conventional chaos dwarf stuff as in they make siege giants there is a picture of zarvixa which i'm just going to share in the chat for my boys unfortunately you listeners will be able to find it on age of sigmar lexicanum and and it is a picture of the classic chaos dwarf physical environment right in that it is an enormous set of iron spires with big billowing gouts of forge flame and like large cannons attached. And the spin that they've put on it is that it's in the ocean and that the chaos dwarfs go to the bottom of the ocean to do bad stuff. And the question that we should consider is because they like to have like a, a combination of weird stuff, is it going to be the case that the next iteration of chaos dwarfs is going to be like, evil pirate steampunk chaos dwarfs right are they going to go off in a, in in that kind of pirate direction or is that too close to what they've already done with um the grunstock haulers and and all of the the good stuff from that range and the last thing that i'll talk about is um the reference to a couple of um different groups now let me just find this because i've got it open in a tab um this is two things from age of sigmar rule books one is the forge anathema and the forge anathema is again it's a law blurb it's a little paragraph that talks about a very conventional old school chaos dwarf um environment right a smithy in a fortress built in iron and bone cannons of living metal bound with demons guarding every passage that leads to its burning gates you know it could be something out of among the wicked darwi right they even name check the father of darkness. So specifically, the line says, Twisted Dwarden forge masters who rule here arm anyone willing to pay for their dark craft, for they bow to none, save their dread god, whose name they will not utter before the uninitiated, calling him only the father of darkness. So at least according to that rule book, Hashat worshipping conventional chaos dwarfs exist in the Age of Sigma. That might have been them doing us a, a charitable kindness. I don't know, but it is in there. And then the, the last thing that we'll talk about is, is a quote from a Fire Slayer uh, piece of fiction that talks about some, um, some dwarfs associated to the Forge Anathema. And they say, our brothers are lost. 
They forge accursed weapons from sentient metal, agonizing despair, shards of eternal ice and the bones of our kin. So it's it's possible to find it in the setting. But the question is whether GW are going to go in that direction or whether they're going to try and make it weird as they have done with all the other Age of Sigmar ranges. What do you guys think? I think I think they'll go weird. <laughs> they always go weird. <laughs> but but it's very it's very um it's very uh, it fills me with hope that there, that there are hashet worshipping dwarfs in this world. The Tsar Vixer thing is the only thing I've really read about, and that has made me think before, okay, there's something here. I think the fact that they're going down into the depths of the sea to find, you know, nasty things to play about with, to, to, to artifacts to find and, and to fuel their evil engines and stuff just means, Reva, you are well ahead of the curve, mate. Really? <laughs> I was going to say, if, uh, if they go with the uh, steampunk pirate, evil bearded dwarfs then uh then I, i'll feel like a little robbed in some ways but then hey i think you should sue <laughs> that's what gw would do <laughs> and also they've they found the easiest way to get my money so there's you know there's two sides to that it's always two sides to it, absolutely and um i think there is you mentioned about the iron golem having um a, a chaos dwarf i think there's another chaos dwarf in a war cry range in the um in the spire tyrants is it that's right yeah i remember seeing that he's a little bit more like to me anyway he feels more like a uh 1980s chaos dwarf yeah yeah he's got a couple of big horns once again, he's wielding two weapons. He's basically a slayer, right? Um, and he's wearing a classic. But you're absolutely right. He's super 80s looking because he's got that old school chaos dwarf as in like mini chaos warrior aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got him. He's a lovely model. I picked him up as a single on eBay for about £3, which I thought was a pretty good deal. And um, with these um, Norskan style chaos dwarfs I'm doing at the moment, I'm going to use him as a little unit leader. I thought he'd work quite well for that. Classic. Yeah, they're a very tame warband. If you don't know them, listeners, um, you'll find them really easily, the Spire Tyrants. But it, they really do seem to be a tribute to that old school um, classic. I think their their leader is based on the pit fighter from um, Warhammer Quest. Definitely. If you look at him. Definitely He's got the is, top yeah. knot and the mace. And, and so I'm not surprised that they kind of reached back into that era for that Chaos Dwarf. I do think it would be a bit depressing if they they released it at some point you know and they were just like it's nurgle dwarves here they come <laughs> yeah that would rotten. disappoint me a lot because because a chaos dwarf in my in my uh head canon is not a dwarf who worships chaos i mean that is a chaos worshiping dwarf a chaos dwarf would be a, a dwarf of the darklands the dwarf zara grund the dwarf who worships the father of darkness or in the age of sigma I suppose, the inheritors of that culture, you know. But you say about going down a weird way. I mean, they 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 released High Elves again, didn't they? But they called them Luminef Realm Lords. And the whole the whole hype behind them was they're pointy elves. They're what you guys want. Look, we've got normal horses and all that. But um, I mean it's it's been a year and they're riding kangaroos, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of a lot of people who were really happy about the announcement of classic high elves, which is what the pointy elves video was intended to be, are very disappointed because yeah. they they the the helmets are absurd. 
they they look ridiculous. Now I think we've got the advantage in that our lads look ridiculous to begin with. <laughs> I, I almost I almost think, and I think I said this to you, Oxy, several weeks ago. Like I almost feel like the Chaos Dwarfs were the Age of Sigmar army before Age of Sigmar was allowed to kick off, right? And yeah. and the nineties Chaos Dwarfs, they were weird enough. They had enough weird things in their single sentence description, right? They're Mesopotamian chaos dwarfs who worship a big bull and they're turning to stone. Oh, and some of them are half cow. Right? <laughs> That's, Age of Sigmar. That's Age of Sigmar in a nutshell. Well, mate, like my Age of Sigmar army is all 90s. Very few conversions going on there because <laughs> they fit better. My 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 uh, army that I'm building for fantasy is very grounded and realistic. They're like the barbarian chaos dwarfs I'm doing. Yeah. But my actual age of Sigma one are we wear bright red, we're standing on lava, and our hats are taller than us because it, it, in that setting that doesn't seem ridiculous. Yeah. I think you're right. They fit right in, don't they? God bless them. So in many ways, almost you'd want them to go back to a pre. Asgore, not that I'm advocating for this, but like if if they hadn't already had the idea, it's the kind of thing that they would come out with in Age of Sigma and everyone would go, What? I'm gonna buy 15. <laughs> Does that show though the only thing that's different about um about a, a, a good idea and a crazy idea like 20 or 30 years of nostalgia? <laughs> Definitely agree. Uh, I'll be interested to see because those high elves you were mentioning, they grab the cows so does that mean we're going to get a bunch of uh phoenix worshiping chaos dwarfs and we'll see if they <laughs> that's true they've got but i mean you know we've always had the beastmen doing the cow thing as well right like the the most iconic hashet item i think to this day from either range is the um the standard for the infernal guard that's like that kind of riveted metal bull's head with the horns that's um, and that that tip of that standard if i could get 20 of those from a suspicious chinaman then i would nail them to the side of everything if i wanted to make it look hashety mm-hmm. um and and the real question for me coming off the back of those asia sigma rulebook extracts is are they going to stick with hashet or are they just going to bin him and start from scratch because we know that as Asgore had a war scroll in the early days of Age of Sigmar, right? And so it could be that those extracts were just to make space for people with an Asgore army to feel like they should keep collecting. Yeah, yeah, it could well be. Just little tidbits of information so you don't feel like that army you bought last year was a complete waste of money. So on the whole, I would say there is there are things in the present that suggest a future, right? And, and I hope it's a future that is more than um, individuals turning up in Warcry warbands. But on the other hand, they've definitely, I think the way to describe it is they've deregulated the Chaos Dwarf concept, right? You no longer have to be an ethnic Chaos Dwarf. You can be a dwarf who worships Chaos now. Um, and from that perspective, I think we can expect to see evil dwarves. I don't know if we're going to get to see big hats and blunderbusses. Um, thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, sky's the limit. But the old world game could be uh, could be the route as well, couldn't it, mate? You know, I, I know that they're starting this off uh, this old world game as being a kind of period of imperial civil war, and they're already making Horus Heresy uh, uh, comparisons and stuff like that. But 
depending on how successful that game is, depending on what happens in the Total War games, you might find that Chaos Dwarfs end up getting some support elsewhere. Not in the immediate future, but you know, in the long fu- long-term future. I definitely think that's true. And, and I do think that um, we've got to give them time to respond to the fan demand, right? They're going to have their plans. They're going to have their slate of releases. And really, one of two things is true. Either they've already bothered to make an editorial decision about Chaos Dwarfs and the machinery is in motion and it's going to happen. You know, it might be on the release schedule for 2023 or something and they've already thought it through and it's going to be nothing like what we're used to. Or they haven't bothered to think about it yet. And when Total War Warhammer 3 drops, they're going to add it to the back of the queue and and they'll respond to the Total War Warhammer option when they've already done minis for Cathay, minis for Kislev resurrecting the empire range putting in some you know some stuff that um they might have lost along the way made some vintage high elves or something mm-hmm. um because we can't know which way they're going to go but we know for a fact that that strong demand of people saying i want chaos dwarfs is on the horizon because of total war but it's going to take gw a very long time to catch up to that fact if they ever do mm. But thankfully, it's not going to take us too long. Do you know what I mean? That's why the forum is there and it's ready and we're putting out material and out like this because, you know, the spiritual home for, for the worshippers of Hasher is going to be there when those new fans come flocking in. Exactly. Absolutely. What a wonderful note to end on. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a, a couple of little things to talk to you guys about just before we uh, sign off uh, uh, for tonight. And... That is that uh, we are currently uh, working on the next issue of the Brazen Bulletin. And as always, we are looking for entries. We are looking for submissions for anything that you would like to see in this paper. So if you are a collector of Chaos Dwarfs and you've got a beautifully converted or beautifully painted army, if you have an interesting article that you would like to write about Chaos Dwarfs or anything about the hobby surrounding Chaos Dwarfs, you know, let us know. The best way to get hold of us is by talking to any of us guys on a forum. If you're not a member of the forum, become a member of the forum. But before you do that, you can always just email us at brazenbulletin at gmail.com okay it's brazenbulletin at gmail.com uh, and we've also got a little bit of news for the next issue we haven't got everything done for the next issue anywhere near yet but we have got something very excited lined up we have an interview with uh, a, a little known war games uh, writer by the name of rick Priestley. apparently he created some game called warhammer Forty Thousand. i don't know an awful lot about that but what i do know is that he uh, he wrote uh, white dwarf presents chaos dwarfs so that's what we're gonna be talking to him about uh, and there's a uh, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be talking to him um uh, this week, I think, and we're we'll sending him off some questions. So there'll be an interview with Rick Priestley in there, which I'm very, very excited about. One quick one for you, Oxy, because yeah. that is going to be super exciting. Are you still taking um, recommendations from people on the forum for questions to ask? Because if people are listening to this on the day, they might still have time to sneak in. Um, if they do, they're going to need to be pretty bloody quick because I'm talking to him this week. So there is still a window, but I'm talking about a window of a few days, all right? So there's still a window. But I'm hoping Rick is not going to be the only um, 
Games Workshop veteran I'm going to be able to talk to. Uh, there are a couple of other irons in that fire which I can't really reveal any details about yet because friends of friends are talking to people. It's that sort of situation. But there's a couple of other people who um, were quite involved in Games Workshop back in the day who we are hoping to get some interviews with for future issues. So it's something that I hopefully we'll be able to do. Uh, a lot of these guys uh, are really, really open and just, you know, love chatting about love chatting about the stuff they used to do which is really really cool okay that is all for today so thank you very much for listening from myself oxymandeus from chits from michael from reva we really really appreciate you being with us today and having a listen and getting involved in the chaos dwarf community if you are not a member Get involved. Sign up at uh, chaosdwarfs.com. Uh, Our new discourse website, the new forum is there for you to sign up. And you're going to find a great community for the people that are very, very passionate about this stuff. People that are going to be giving you advice about your hobby. People are going to be chatting to you about law. It's the best place on the internet and you need to be there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, ta guys. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye, Cheers. everyone. Bye-bye.